This is the first time we're about first took 24 episodes to get the invite. I hate these stupid questions. I know because you're bad at answering questions. This is stupid. Bro, being the number one recruit in the country is so different than you when you were. I think he's the best quarterback in the league. What is an NFL quarterback room like? So two years ago, I trained Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Kyle Allen. That was my draft class. I think that this league is filled with opportunities and the guys that, that stay in the league for a long time are the guys that take advantage of those opportunities. I'm just a big believer in repetition. And I'm a big routine guy and goals never end. And I'm just a big, 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 big routine guy and once I stepped on that field today, I was good, man. All right, welcome to The Room, episode 24. It keeps stacking them. I'm surprised every week that we've been doing it this long. You know, addition to subtraction here, Kyle is gone this week. He's up at Pebble, playing with Josh, getting ready for the AT&T. So we're subtracting him, but we're adding in not just a guest today, more of a co-host and somebody I've been side by side with. Super pumped, my brother, Carson Palmer. Welcome to The Room. I, it took 24 episodes to get the invite, but I appreciate the invite. Finally. Yeah. Took, and you were took per- an invite to, to Pebble. Josh is welcome. I gave him my spot. I was going to play, but I got a bum shoulder. So Josh is going to slide in there and take my spot. And, 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 you know, Kyle gets to also play. So good for him. Yeah, it's good. Plus you added the other guys we tried to get this week that couldn't, you know what I mean? It's like, and then you're the fill-in. So I get it. Yeah. But uh, no, Stokes, you're here and this is going to be fun. So for those of you tuning in, this is the room. This is the QB room. We created this because there's podcasts from hunters and DBs and whole linemen and D-Live and there's all these things. But the quarterback room in a building is the most important room in a building. If it's dialed, then you have a chance to make a run at the end. And if it's not dialed, you have zero chance to make a run at the end, high school, college, or pro. And so we want to take those conversations. If you're new here, like and subscribe. But we're taking those conversations. And if you've seen any of our stuff before, this is the most common comments we get is like, man, I haven't seen him like that before. I haven't seen him talk like that before. It's because we're taking that QB room, kicking it, hanging out before the meeting, after the meeting, sit around the lockers, bringing that here. But today's super unique. Also, if you've tuned in, you know that, I mean, Carson and I, we never, I've never, we've never done this before. We've never done media before. We've done a couple little things here or there where they give Carson like a hundred grand to do something. There's an extra 12 bucks. They'll hire me to come in and join him. But I, I, so you don't know what we're talking about today. I'm going to go through some stuff, but it's stuff we never really talked through and put out. And I know at least one person's going to love this. Shout up, Dana Palmer out in Nashville. Hasn't missed an episode. Shout out to her mom. But let's get into it. So we play this game every week. I'm just going to throw it to you. Normally Kyle and I go back and forth. It's called throw it deeper, check it down. All right. So that this is, if you love it, if you agree, you're going to throw deep. Okay. If not, you're going to check it down. Okay, so this is like from the 12-yard line, first down mentality here. I'm either throwing this, ripping this thing, or I'm just throwing it out of bounds. Okay, so we're either throw it deep or check it down. Throw it deep or check it down. The Broncos are Super Bowl contenders in 2023 now that they've hired Sean Payton. You live in Idaho in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know this, but Sean Payton's the new head coach of the Broncos. I'm checking it down. I actually, we have this thing called America Online here, and I can dial in on my internet connection. And I can't get news. So I did hear about that. I thought that I I just, when I was hearing about that, none of it made sense because Sean Payton can take whatever job he wants. And I know Denver is sexy and it's awesome and it's a beautiful place to live. And 
unbelievable, probably the most money in, in the organization with the ownership group. And they've got to win now. They've got to prove that Hackett was an outlier and that year one with Russ. And they have so much to prove. But at the end of the day, you are tied to Russell Wilson for at least another year and probably two. And and Russ is a different player. Now, now that Russ doesn't have those legs he had at 22, 23, 24, those legs are what made Russell great, along with the best defense in the National Football League back-to-back-to-back-to-back years. But now that he doesn't have that magic to get out of the pocket, spin out of this move, and take off and run and take a hit, he's just a different player. And I'm just... I just I, I think that Sean had to separate himself from Russ going into the building and make that the organization. That's the only reason I, I think he would have taken that job if he has that ability to be able to get rid of Russ and find his own quarterback. So I'm punting. Dude, I'm checking that down too. I just I, I think this I think Russ took a U turn and I don't know how you take another U turn and go back. I and I 100% agree. That was going to be my answer is that the only way Sean Payton takes this job, it's not a shock when I saw it. And in this whole last two weeks, I've been like, he, he's not going to take that job. He's really going to, he's going to try, you know, would have wanted the Chargers job if it came up because we got Justin Herbert or take one of these jobs with a marquee centerpiece quarterback. Otherwise, go back to Fox, make eight mil and wait till the next run next year. When I saw that, it's like, okay, one, I'm in a long ass contract. You're making a ton of money and I am not tied to Russell Wilson beyond this year. Right. Don't care what it costs. They traded up three first round picks to get Russ. Plus they traded the first round pick they got for Bradley Chubb to get Sean Payton because yeah. they had to get him out of his New Orleans yeah. contract. So he's going in there going, all right, I don't have any first round picks. All right. So there's the salary cap. Everybody knows there's the salary cap. You and I could weeks ago had a discussion about that with Joe Burrow's contract coming up. There's a salary cap, but you can go over with signing bonuses. So I think he's sitting here looking at the wealthiest, the new wealthiest owner sitting here going like, we better go way over this cap. We're going to not have any financial things prohibiting us from getting the pieces that I need to win here. And by the way, I'm not tied to three. I got I I'm able to address this in a year or two, or we turn it around, we fix it, we get value out of a guy who's been great. The thing that'll be interesting is is more more attempts, better or worse for Russ. So over the course of Russell's eight years or nine years in Seattle, he averaged 30 attempts a game. Drew Brees in his time with Sean Payton averaged it was 38.4 attempts per game. So over the course of the season, that's another 100-plus attempts. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. I'm not as sold of Jerry Judy and the pieces around him as it looks on paper, and I think it's a tougher situation to win in, and the Chargers are going to be better, and the Chiefs are going to probably be coming off the Super Bowl win, and mm-hmm. the Raiders are going to be upgrading mm-hmm. who's going to be in their quarterback. So yeah, I was shocked at it. We're both checking it down. Unless he got a 10-year, I mean, it could be some sort of, you know, I don't know what it was reported. It's going to be, it's got to be a hundred million. John Gruden got a hundred million. It's got to be a 10-year. It's got to be a hundred million. It's got to be a 10-year deal, which is great for him because it's, Russ will be out of the league by the time he's at the end of that deal. Yeah. The other thing that's crazy when you think about these coaches' contracts is like, so let's just say it's a hundred million bucks, but it's a hundred million bucks plus like global pass, which is like, I get to draw from the fleet of jets with a 45-minute heads up anywhere in the world. Coaches don't have that much free time. I know it wasn't this offseason, offseason before. Me, Sam, Josh, Kyle, I think Sanchez, we, you know, flew private out to Mississippi and went and played golf with Brett Favre for three days, right? We go and play this six spot, like old Waverly and the Mossy Oak, these two courses. We went out for three days. 
And, so, and they're like, yeah, we, the courses are shut down for these two days. So we played golf or balls, right? The only other person there is Sean Payton. And this is like right before OTAs. And he's there with a group of six or seven dudes. Like to a guy like that, who's also single, like to be able to go, yeah, let's play Augusta this afternoon. Very near. So right like the Walmart family, the Walton family, like that, those are pieces of this. So I want a hundred million bucks. I want, I want to be able to give a 45 minute heads up anywhere in the world, pick from the fleet of planes. I want all of those things. And it's like, yeah, maybe that guy will wear Russell Wilson for a year or two. Absolutely. Yeah. And you get to be in Denver and I don't know, you can figure it out in Denver. It's a great organization. I don't know how, how involved. Elway is, but I'm sure the Walton family's got a couple of great people on on that staff in that organization. They're just it just seems like they're going to do things the right way. And over time, you, all he needs is one more Super Bowl run. That's yeah. it. And he needs to squeak one out, one out of the next ten years. Maybe if he gets two, that's just icing on the on the top of the cake. But it's it's the more I think about this, it's a great situation because there's no way he's tied to Russ. Yeah, it's actually that was the leverage he had going into the room. Right. Yep. Because every coach that they're interviewing was like, "Hey, well, what's the deal with Russ? How am I tied to him? What if it, you know?" So that was a great leverage situation for him to walk in or his agent to walk into that room and start bargaining. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think the root of Russ's issues is narcissism. It's crazy. Like I'm not even going to get into the specifics, but just like it's crazy. And then out of the head coaches, Sean Payton's in that category too, and it worked with Drew. Because there was still some humility with Drew and the ability to work together. It's going to be maybe my favorite storyline to follow next year, this offseason. Well, is these two think about Think about the dynamics of the situation last year. You got Nathaniel Hackett, who nobody had heard of, literally the day before he got the job. And then you got Russ. So Russ is the big dog in the room, you know, at, in, within the organization. Well, now you got your dog, Russ, and Sean Payton. So how does Russ react to not being the big dog in the real? Like if the dynamics there, it'd be really fun to be the third string quarterback in Denver and just they gotta watch get hard this They got to get hard knocks. Oh, <laughs> I would. That'll be the first hard locks, hard box I have. I would ever watch, and I've been on hard locks yeah. a couple times, but I would watch that one. I would too. Yeah. Well, good news. I got Jerry Carantano in that room. I can't wait to hear about it. Awesome. All right, we're gonna move to another game here. This is called Brotherly Love. So Philly's in the Super Bowl. It's the city of brotherly love. Okay, You got the Kelsey brothers. I don't know if you know this, but they have a podcast. They kill it. What's pretty crazy about the Kelsey brothers is like polar opposites. They play different positions. They have, Their whole vibe is different. They're also like the best tight end in the league and the best center in the league. But like the best at their position in the whole league, and it's been that way for a while, and there's probably another couple years of a run where it is. So real quick. When when Travis called the mayor of, a, of Cincinnati a jabroni. a jabroni, that was the funniest thing I've heard. And like I want to hang like he Travis Kelsey might be the coolest guy in the NFL. I already like him more than Gronk. I just I want him to be on TV. I want him on camera. I want I want more of him. He is awesome. Yeah, no, he's great and he's super good at football too. All right, True. so well the Kelsey brothers are sharing the stage at the Super Bowl this year. They've also been played. They've also played under the same NFL coach. So we're going to score this year. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. You're going to get it right, you're going to get it wrong with your score. We're going to see what you do. So, the Kelsey brothers, they have played under the same NFL coach. Who is that coach? Like 
the, a head coach. Yeah. It's Andy Reid, isn't it? Was Kelsey old enough to be there when Andy Reid was in Philly? Final answer? I mean, that's the obvious answer. Yeah, that's all I got. All right, you're one for one. This Hall of Fame QB was the number one pick in 1970, while his younger brother, Craig, also a QB, went in the seventh round of the 1980 draft. Who's the guy that was the number one pick in 70, whose little brother is Craig? Hall of, Hall of Fame. That narrows it down. That one, Craig, Craig's the Hall of Famer? No. The number one pick guy is the oh, Hall of his brother. Well, I mean, who's your question? Who comes up with this this question? Jake. Who is the, Jake, who was the number one pick in 1970? I, I don't oh, know. So he's a Hall of Famer from 70, and he's got a younger brother. I'll narrow it down. You've spent time with this guy before. I'm going to give you a hint. I, we never get hints when we play games like this. He's got a worse <laughs> hairline than you. But is it worse than yours? That, that That's what I need to know. Is it worse than yours? Well, definitely. It's worse than yours. It's worse than mine. I spent time with him. Maybe. Is he a, is he a is he a coach at some point? No, he's on TV. Good. I'll give you no idea. Terry Bradshaw. I just saw this question. I didn't know Terry Bradshaw had a brother that played in the league. I didn't either. I didn't know Terry was the number one pick in nineteen seventy. I didn't know that either. I knew he was Hall of Famer. Interesting. Though. All Interesting. Right. All right. Which Hall of Fame tight end gave his first Super Bowl ring to his brother, who had his NFL career shortened by a neck injury? Yeah. A Hall of Fame tight end, but brother didn't. His brother played in the league, but his career was shortened with a neck injury. Was his, was his brother a tight end as well? No, but close. You should get this one. I hate these stupid questions. I know, because games. you're this bad is, at answering questions. This is stupid. I don't know. Kellen Winslow, see, I don't know. Sterling, Who is it? Sterling Sharp. Shannon Sharp. Members? I actually, I actually should know that should have one. I should have known that. There's one. not that many Hall of Fame tight ends. Like you said, go, does Tony have a, a brother? Does Todd Heap have a brother? Like there's not that long. And then Stur- Todd Heap's not in the tight end. See, or Todd, Todd, Todd Heap's not in the, the Hall, Hall of Fame. Of fame. Yeah. There's not that many guys in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But Todd Heap is not in the Hall of Fame. So I'm saying I just threw out a name of somebody that I knew you now. But but next question, Sterling Sharp next segment was a big guy. All right, in 2005, right. both of the Giants' quarterbacks were NFL QB siblings, meaning. At that time, they both had a brother playing in the league. Who were they? Who were the in Giants quarterbacks? Oh five. The Giants quarterbacks. So Eli was there. Okay. His backup Eli. was like uh, his back was backup was like Anthony and Lorenzen. Lorenzen have a brother? Lorenzen's not oh five. Lorenzen's older or younger than that. Um, Jer- Jared Lorenzen? Yeah. J Load? J-Lo. No, J-Lo. The hefty no lefty? J-Lo was like Rest 08, in peace. 09. Yeah, I know. It's not him. R.I.P. J-Lo. Yeah. Jerry Lorenzo died a few years down? ago. Yeah. Oh, man. That's awful. One of the all-time great nicknames. Oh, J-Lo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one of the greatest Dude, nicknames he was, ever. He was awesome. Yeah. His his Kentucky film was so much fun to watch. He was spitting that thing all over him. All right. So, old quarterback room was... was you know this up. guy. Does Anthony, is it A-Dub? Does Anthony Wright have a brother in the league? No, but I Man. saw A-Dub at Manning Passing Academy last year. Awesome catching up with that guy. His son's yeah. like a baller. He's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Um, you know this guy. So Eli, you know Eli, both the brothers. Eli, and, oh, was it Hasselbeck? Yeah, Tim. Hasselbeck? 10 for three. After a lot of hints. Last question. The two most famous NFL brothers, Eli and Peyton Manning, have only squared off against each other twice in the NFL. Which brother won both games? Might not be what you think. Well, 
Eli. Peyton. I threw you for a loop. It's Peyton. Very good. So Honestly, you were... That's why I hate these stupid games. Yeah, you're just stupid people play stupid games. Go like, I'm good at stupid <laughs> games. Two for five, something like that. Awesome. All right. Game's over. Let's get into the interview side of this thing. Although, I like this. This is fun. All right. So you're drafted number one in 03, right? And mm-hmm. sit your whole rookie year, right? Times have changed. I mean, second round picks are expected to be the guy now, right? So, and you were an LD scratch. It wasn't that you weren't talented enough or good enough. It was just like that era. It was like, well, we're going to sit him for a year. We're going to let him learn and watch. So you're going to put on your GM hat here. at some we, you and I have done a lot to near saying what we would have done in this situation, that situation. Okay. So I'm not going to ask you to pick which quarterback you take number one. I'm working with Will Levis right now, not the other two. So I'll just say, like, okay, you're taking Will Levis. So you take Will Levis with with the number one pick. How do you approach starting him, sitting him, like reps? How I've seen a lot of people do it a lot of different ways. People are throwing guys into the ring. Dude, Urban Meyer, I don't know if I ever told you this. They took Trevor number one. Urban Meyer split 50-50 reps with him. OTAs in training camp. All the way through, he wanted him to earn it with Gardner Menchu. A week before the season starts, he names Trevor the starter and trades Gardner Minshew. So he wasted 50% of the offseason with the number one pick and then started. Deshaun Watson was the starter in Houston at halftime of the first game. They Bill O'Brien went with the other guy first. So I've seen people screw this up a lot of ways. I've seen people ease into it the right way. How would you approach, let's say you take Will Levis number one, you're the Texans of making it up. How do you approach them? Well, I think, well, I approach it by he gets every rep he can without throwing too many balls and starts week one. Unless it's an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes situation. But even looking back at that, start Alex the first couple of weeks, and then you tell Patrick you're going to play week three or four or five. The more important part of it is just the structure of the current contracts. Back in the day, you would first that first pick in the draft, if Will was drafted pre the current CBA that the players are playing under, he would sign a six-year deal with a seventh-year option. And so you had six years to decide, are you going to give this guy a second contract and really kind of work him in? But you just don't have that luxury anymore. you got to know if a guy's the guy. And if you're going to draft somebody like Will Lovitz, who has all of the intangibles and all kinds of raw talent, you put him in week one, you get him as many reps as he can, and you, unlike they used to do it back in the day, you were a young guy coming from a non-NFL style of college football, has to learn the That's the NFL's, you know, the, the coordinators, his way or the highway. You're going to learn this super complicated 10 or 15 protections, you know, 25 formations, run game check, you know, Take all that out of it. Just make it easy. Make it simple. A lot like what Kyler Murray went through with Cliff Kingsbury his first year in Arizona. They went back and took a bunch of the stuff that Kyler was successful with in college and dumbed down the offense to make it easy for a young rookie quarterback. And I, I think that's the route. I think if you have a, a chance to draft a yeah. guy with all like a, a Will Levitz or, <laughs> or a Stroud or just a guy that can just flat out spin it and throw it and is better than, you know, physically better than probably the top half of the NFL current starters. If you've got that kind of raw talent, get it on the field, make the system really easy, bring the offense back 
you know, bring that playbook down a little bit for all the players, all the vets around him to make it easy on the quarterback. But back in the day when I was coming in and we, we got thrown a, you know, a playbook, it was that thick. And no matter how much football you knew in your past from college, it didn't matter. You had to learn that playbook because you had six years with a seventh year option and on the former structure of the, the rookie contracts, that's out the window. Now you've got four years and a fifth year option kind of, you know, weighing you down, you got to see if the guy can play and, and make it easy on him week one. Don't get too complicated. And I just think that's what we've seen. I mean, you look at, at the handful of quarterbacks that have played and aren't sitting anymore. They're getting thrown to the fire right away, but they're not forcing their hand to learn this super complicated, really in-depth system. They're making it, they're, they're tailoring it to these young quarterbacks. So Justin Fields is a great example. What couldn't be a more simple system? with a ton of running options within that system. Now, hopefully, as Justin gets more comfortable with the league, he learns more about football from NFL coaches, they can take some of those runs out and replace those quarterback runs with throws that are a little bit more complicated than the, what they were doing his first year. But I thought, you know, with, with all this chaos that was going on in, in, in Chicago, they did a good job not making – it really challenging for him and let him play fast. And that's one thing you saw him do. He played fast. If number one wasn't there, he would peak at number two and he was gone. They put the ball in his hands because he is that raw, unique talent. And I, I just hope we see more of that in the NFL. And I think we have been seeing that over the last couple of years. Yeah, times have changed. I remember just Bob Brakowski, the coordinator in Cincinnati, who you you know were drafted by and I ended up playing for too. I mean, just each set the gun spread right eight top till trying to drive after read alert Mustang dragon on a white one, you know, dot right blue, mid six seventy four swoop, these different things and stuff. Yeah. But, and then Cam Newton goes number one to Carolina, and the first thing they do is have Gus Malzahn come in and teach some stuff from Auburn. Totally. So it's just been a completely different approach. I am mean, assuming top down from the from the ownership standpoint and you know, I look at the three of the top quarterbacks this year. You got C.J. Stroud from Ohio State running Ryan Day's system that a lot of Ohio State guys have come from. Very simple. We're going to out-athlete you. We're going to have the best receiving class in the country. We're going to – you guys are going to be open. And then Bryce came from Alabama with Bill O'Brien. And Will came from Kentucky who had an NFL coordinator fill in when he lost his O.C. going into his senior year, Rich Gagliello. So it's like you got two guys that are coming out of pro-style systems heading into the league. Um, CJ coming out of Ohio State. It'll be interesting to see kind of how that translates. Next question. So Caleb Williams, USC, first guy to win it since Reggie, third quarterback. Even Leinert won it, the Heisman. And I did a bunch of stuff that, you know, people who've watched him play aren't surprised. I, I wasn't surprised at all. I said in the beginning of the season, I thought he won the Heisman. And then the rest of the country kind of was like, oh, shit, that's the Oklahoma kid. What What's different about him and what do you think we can expect from him coming back this year with even more hype and more expectations? So you're saying you said before the season started that he was going to win the Heisman? Yeah, on the herd. You said Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman this year. It's on tape. Yeah, he's my pick to win the Heisman, yeah. Yeah, I thought for sure because I thought they'd, I, I, didn't th I didn't think they'd lose to anybody. I was actually surprised they lost to Utah twice. They didn't play yeah. anybody. They didn't, they didn't play Oregon. It was the only team preseason wise thought they'd give a chance. Fits. I didn't think they'd stop anybody, but I damn sure didn't think anybody stopped mm -hmm. them. And right now, the Pac-12 is just wide open to the college football playoff. I mean, they're Utah away from being in it, right? And obviously, the way they played against Utah, it wouldn't have gone very well if they got there. But And he's the best player in the country. I was certain of that. And I actually, what I said on the herd in the preseason is, 
we're going to have three quarterbacks taken really high in the draft next year. And there's a chance that the best quarterback is not one of those three. Yeah, strong. No, I, I, I agree. You know, I, I think his, if there's a hole in his game, it's, it's going to be the downfall of dealing with everything that he's having to deal with. And I know he went through, you know, leaving Oklahoma was a, a big boy move. That was a, an adult decision. It wasn't easy. But now, like, now that, he's, now that you're a Heisman winner, things are just, things are a little different. And I know he went through a lot. I mean, when you think about, you know, you leave high school, you leave, you know, you, you leave home, you go somewhere else, you leave Baltimore. Bro, being the number one recruit in the country is so different than you when you were. It's so no, crazy. I, I'm, like, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying... Yeah, he, he went yeah. from a big boy situation, leaving Baltimore, going to Oklahoma. The next year, leaving Oklahoma when he was the only thing they could hang their hat on after after Lincoln left, and then boom, he's gone. You go to LA, huge adjustment. You go from you know your typical media appearance day, and there's like four or five people in the room. Now you're in LA, and there's thirty five people in the room, forty people, all kinds of different, just just getting pulled different ways. And then you win the Heisman, and now he's really being pulled all these different ways and being told how great he is. It, it's going to be a if if he can go back and put together another year back to back like he did this year, it's really a testament to to how strong he is mentally. Because it's really easy. Like I transferred, like I, I left high school, I went to a school, you know, didn't work, didn't work for long. I left after a year, then I went here and I won the Heisman. Everybody's telling me I'm this, I'm not, I'm the next Patrick Mahomes. It's really easy to to fall off the track that got you there. The track that got him there is what we've been hearing about: getting up to five thirty in the morning, training, lifting, eating right, taking care of his body. It's really easy to get in LA and now he's got a bunch of money he's got fame he's got you know all these things coming at him so there's you know if he slips at I, I would be surprised because he seems really really mentally strong and focused but if he doesn't slip up and he goes yeah. out and does what he does again and stays healthy and just plays lights out week in week out the dude is, is I mean aside from all the physical stuff I mean physically he's got everything There there is no He's got it all. He does. He don't even see many him throw many fastballs. We've seen him throw like five or six fastballs all year. His touch and his, the 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 floaters he can throw and and the different arm angles and outside the pocket and when he really wants to let one loose, there isn't anybody around that has the velocity that he has. But if he's got the mental side of it, which we're gonna find out, it will be tested throughout this year. If if he can stay on track and keep leading that team and keep getting better and improve, because there's tons of improvement. He's 20. I mean, he ain't done. He's not a finished product. So if, if he gets better, it's going to show that he's also got the mental side of it and the strength mentally, which is is what separates you really at the end of the day from everybody else because everybody can really throw it pretty good. So I think this is going to be a really telling year. If he can do something similar to what he did this year, I'm not saying he's got to win a Heisman back-to-back, but if he can go out and win just about every game and be in New York in December again, he might he might be one of the best of this generation. I'm not saying a lot because this generation has seen Brady and Breeze and Pat and Joe 
And who knows, he might be better than them all if, if he can do all that with all the distractions he's surrounded with right now. Yeah, I think his best reps are ahead of him this, to deal with this. The rep, not rep, not reps of practice, the reps of like do with everything you just said. So they sort of do the thing with the crown on his head, right? Insinuating he's the king of LA. He's absolutely mm-hmm. the king of LA. LeBron, I mean, the Lakers mm-hmm. aren't even going to make the playoffs. You know what I mean? The Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Dodgers, yeah. the baseball. I haven't watched a baseball game in 10 years. Like he, he's the king of LA. UCLA's rebuilding, all that stuff. So he's got a chance to like be on the Kobe trajectory here, right? But Kobe will like have all the success and all the pressure and all the hype, and then he just come back and repeat. And nothing and changed. Develop, you know what I mean? Lopez game in that off season. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'd be interested to see what's Lincoln gonna like. How does Lincoln challenge him? Does Lincoln straight up just say, "Hey, week three." We're going to go no huddle and it's on you. I mean, how do you continue to challenge him? Because it's really easy. Like you saw it in. Oh, dude, I think it's things like no one's ever won it twice. I mean, Archie Griffin's no, the only no, guy to win it more twice. Than... That type of thing. Like, and, and plus, dude, think about it like this. They lost to Tulane in the bowl game. They lost to Utah yeah. twice. This isn't some undefeated season where you're sitting here going like, what do we have left to play for? What do you have left to play for? You didn't even go to the, like, you didn't even go to the Rose Bowl, let alone the net. Like, yeah, but... so. He's got plenty to play for. And by the way, this is not a stat guy either. I don't know how much time he spent with it. This dude's like trying to win. Like he's a he's trying to be a champion. You know, some guys are like, like, yeah, we didn't have that great of a season, but I got that Heisman. Like, I don't think he's that well, bad. I think he's trying to win. Trying to go undefeated win. I, I, I agree. I just think there's sound like Lincoln's so creative and and so brilliant. I would I would love to hear what how do you challenge Caleb? You know how easy OTAs are for Caleb? And, and you saw it in yeah. in the in the Pac-12 championship. There were some times where he just knew he wasn't going to have much time in the pocket, and he just got, he got death, got death, got death, found his lane, put his foot in the ground, and took off. He just he went way outside the playbook. He just said, "I got to figure out a way." It's third and thirteen. I got to get fifteen yards, and so it's easy. Like it, it it's so when you watch him play, the game is so easy. He can do whatever he wants. He can push up in the yeah. pocket. He can throw the ball outside the pocket. He can take off and run. He's just an NFL dude playing against so college How kids. do you challenge him? Cause he's going out against, I mean, that defense couldn't stop some high school offenses. And so when you practice against that every day and you have a really good system and you have a system where Lincoln Riley's calling plays. So he's probably got guys with some separation open. It's really boring to throw overs and crossing routes. Well, dig if there's no challenging, you know, on the receiver side. If, if there's not a really tight window, you have to fit one in and feed it through. It just can get monotonous and it can get boring. And so, that's a challenge for him. I, I think that's a bigger deal than 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 a lot of people realize. Just because you you've got to. I know he wants it and he wants to be great and he wants to win, but he still has to go out and practice. He still has to lift for the team. He still has to go through OTAs. He still has to go to training camp. So, how do you? He's got now, and, and now it's not about money, right? You don't want to get drafted, so you have money. So how do you entice him to want to get better without getting bored? And with that boredom can create bad habits. It can make you go outside of the system. And, you're, you know, I, I know I could throw my first read or my second read. I'm just going to go figure out a way to get to my third read. And not, then you're all out of whack. So how do you just continue to kind of keep that, that carrot dangled in front of him without you know, yeah. other than saying, "Hey, you lost three times last year. How do you not do that this year?" Like, how yeah. do you ch- how do you keep that flame through twenty years of marriage? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, I 
personally what I do for a living with a couple of my clients. Like it's, it's the same thing, right? Like, I mean, what does Joe Burrow really need to focus on this offseason? I got a couple of things, you know? And so it's building consistency and, and it can't be about success. The difference between NFL and college when you're talking about motivating guys like that is in the NFL, the Bengals don't have six cupcake wins on their schedules. The NFL, anybody can beat anybody. You better read your shit every Sunday or you're going to lose the worst team in the league because they got a bunch of NFL guys on their team. Versus SC gets to play, I don't know their schedule, but there's five or six games where Kayla doesn't have to play and they'll win by 40. So like that's, I think, the challenge in college is playing at that level. We're all familiar with the trap game and like, you know, they got these guys this week, but you look at a schedule and you're like, there's six of them on here, right? Especially in the yeah. back 12. The best so, of it, I, I think and it's, it's, and take a page from Nick Saban, figure out how he does it. How, how, how has totally. Nick Saban done not playing Jackson State week three? Like, how do you keep the best players in all of college football focused and challenged? Like, that's a big yeah. deal. And Nick Saban doesn't get enough credit for doing it. And Lincoln Riley hasn't really had to do it now or yet because every great, great one he's had has been graduated and gone on to the NFL. Now he's got a guy that's back because he's got to be back and, and how he challenges him and keeps him focused on getting better and improves is going to be really, really interesting to see. All right. So this is something you and I have done a lot, kind of hanging out, talking on the phone. We play together. We do this a lot, walking in the woods, playing GM. Right. I don't know if you remember this, but when I got to Cincinnati early in my career, I wanted to be a GM. That was kind of what I was thinking I wanted to do. I liked business. I liked learning about things. I loved football. Then I got there and saw the time commitment that those guys don't even go outside the building. They don't even see the sun. So I got off that real quick. But it doesn't mean that you and I didn't break down guys in the draft to talk about this and salary cap. And most of the time we didn't know what we were talking about. A bunch of the time we did, we were probably looking at Okay, so you're gonna build. We're gonna build your offense here. Okay, so we'll start with you're gonna pick a current. You can go current or former. It's I'm fine with former. Offense coordinator. Let's not get into head coach and defense and what they do and all that stuff. So we're you're gonna pick an offensive coordinator. Okay, based off you will you system today NFL 2023 like the system you think works the best. Okay, then you can pick the perfect quarterback for it. Then we'll go X Z Y F and H. Okay. Okay. We're not gonna touch O line. We're not gonna touch okay. defense. Yep. Cool. So from a system standpoint, ability to learn, stretch the field, answers and protections, shots, all that stuff. Before you get to personnel, what what offensive coordinator or offensive mind would you hire to come in and run your hands? Why? Just separation. I mean, he he separation and easy completions. I, I think I think when you watch today's game, if I was calling plays. As opposed to when I wanted to play, when I wanted to play, I wanted to, I wanted to go deep on the first three plays just to get corners and safeties back to be worried about about the potential of that first one that maybe went for a touchdown or almost did or got a PI. And now I want I want quick game. I want a screen. I want an easy smoke on her, on the backside of a run if the corner is off. Like just getting a quarterback three for three halfway through the first drive or five for seven after the first drive and a touchdown that goes a long ways, especially with a lot of these young quarterbacks playing and Shanahan's as good as anybody at it. I mean, you saw him do it. He, he found a way with a guy that had literally a torn UCL or UCL in that NFC championship. He found a way to get Brock Purdy completions, even though you knew the screen game was coming, he still found a way to get the ball out of his hand quick, 
it's just like shooting a free throw for for you know a guy that's struggling to shoot or you know a basketball player just seeing the ball go through the net seeing the ball you know completed and then forcing the defense to have to go and make a tackle it ain't easy to go and tackle the ground sprint all the way over here hit him hit the ground get hit while you're making a tackle and then get back up in the huddle why everybody else on offense is getting ready for the next play. And I just think that goes a long way. And St. Shanahan does that week in, week out, every, wherever he's been, Cleveland, Houston, now in, now in San Fran, he gets easy completions and he gets a stat line for a quarterback when he comes back to grab a Gatorade on the side of the field, feeling really confident and good, even though he may not have thrown the ball past 10 yards or thrown a ball that most people in the stands could have completed. So I just, I think he's as good as it comes or as good as it gets when it comes to that. And then he creates separation and, and kind of what we were talking about with Brock Purdy earlier, you know, I think there's a lot to be figured out with Brock because he's thrown to guys that have had so much separation and it's just hard. I mean, unless you drop, you know, a Chad Ochocinco, you know, a Keenan Allen who just can win versus any coverage. You know, it's hard to get separation unless you've got a receiver you're paying 22 or 25 million a year. If you don't have that guy, there aren't a bunch of guys that can create separation naturally, but he's one of the few coaches that can do it for a third round pick, a fourth round pick, a free agent receiver. He he can get separation for his receiver, for his quarterback to get easy throws. I love it. The best way I ever heard it articulated was Mark Trestman in Chicago with me. He said, every, every completion has a negative effect on no. the defense. And so when you complete a ball, five-yard check down, right? That corner over there is going to do one of two things. He's either going to get off a block and fight to take a pursuit angle or get yelled at for not doing it. That defensive tackle is going to need to do one of two things. He's going to fight off a block, take a pursuit angle, take it, or get oh, – it's a loaf, right? It's a lazy play. So everyone, they have to do one of those two things. And then every time you have an incompletion, everybody on defense stops, recovers, gets the appropriate personnel in, gets a play design that the defensive coordinator loves and has plenty of time to communicate that to everybody on the defense and his group. And so it was one of those, like, that for me was such and a light bulb of like... Yeah, I don't and mentally, to... they just won. They just won. Quarterback's yep. 0 for 1. Ball hit the ground. So there's a mental yep. win for the defenders as well. Even if even if the, the receiver drops it, the DB gets to do this. Yeah. Even if you had nothing, even if you yeah. got beat on the play, you know, that, that shit, you see all the time. I love it. All right, so you got Shanahan. Okay, so now we've got this piece together. So you got Shanahan. Who's running Shanahan's offense? Who's Paul Joe Burrow. I think Joe's the best quarterback in the league. I like and it. I think, I know Pat, Patrick is phenomenal, but, but I just think Joe's more consistent. He's more consistent. He's more accountable to run the system and the play that's called. And not feel like, well, he didn't win last time and get open for me, so I'm going to do it with my feet. And then before you know it, you're soft for a four-yard loss because you tried to make two or three guys miss. Joe is just, he, they're, they're talk about not having a weakness. Mentally strong, physically tough, accurate, can throw it far enough, fast enough, gets the ball out quick, and then he can actually do a lot with his legs. He just rarely shows it. And it's not... I, I think he's as athletic outside the pocket, with, you know, and, and can do a lot of the same things Patrick Mahomes has done. He hasn't done it and showed it yet. He's played more within his system and, and, and style, but I, I think he's the best quarterback in the league. Wow. I love it. I think one of my favorite things, and I don't know if anybody knows this. So the first time you ever met Joe, so when Joe won the national championship and, and that craziness, I'd never seen anybody's life change 
Okay, so he goes to LSU. And when I met him going into his senior year, he was the blonde guy from LSU. Like, it was Joe, right? It was James or Joe? Like, he was just, we didn't know which guy he was. And then all of a sudden, you know, LSU's 4-0, 5-0, 7-0. Well, no one in that building's ever been 7-0. So guys, you know, when it is college, these guys start feeling themselves. Guys start, you know, the Asians get involved and all this stuff in college. And so they're like 10-0, 11-0, 12-0. So, so impressive. And I was talking to him throughout the year was that how he was able to keep it together and manage expectations and get guys to, it's so easy to say one game at a time. Like it's so hard for college. It's hard for NFL guys to do that, let alone mm-hmm. college. Let alone dudes in the South who are feeling themselves and fired up and never been good before. So he goes 15 and 0 and has this crazy ass year. And his life changed so much that we had the Super Bowl that year, February, first week of February in Miami. That was actually, I didn't start draft training with him until Miami because his life had changed so much. I'm like, dude, they win the daddy. They got a parade. You know, it's Louisiana, so it's like a week's worth of shit. I'm like, dude, you need to go back to Ohio and just decompress for like a week or two. Let's throw in Miami and then start draft training after that. We already know where you're getting picked. We're, you know, we're not in no hurry. We're not getting ready for the combine. I run the 40. And then COVID hit that year. But you came and watched him throw that first day at a random mm-hmm. field. Chance for the three of us, really the two of you guys to talk. You had some questions. And like... Watching him throw that day, which was like not super impressive to everything that's come after that. I mean, you actually got to see the evolution. We all watched his senior year. You got to kind of see him the first day. Like what's what's most impressive in terms of what he's been able to do? And on top of that, you understand how difficult this win it is to win in Cincinnati. I would probably say more than any person ever. What's the most impress- impressive thing to you? Well, I mean, first off, you're right. I mean, he's not like an overly like impressive person walking into the room physically. I mean, you, you watch Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's a specimen. He's got 50 Joe, pounds, yeah, 40 Joe pounds Nixon, on him. You wouldn't, I mean, if he walked on the street, you wouldn't go, that's an NFL football player. He's 6'3", 10 on a good day. He's 6'4", 203 is yeah, what he's I mean, playing that, at right there's now. A bo- there's a lot of people walking down outside my house that are 6'4". You know, yeah. they, there's Justin Herbert, there's Cam Newton, there's, you know, these physical specimens. I mean, Josh is Josh. massive. I mean, yeah. you look at some of these guys playing, but you know who else looks at that like that and has that same exact build is Tom Brady. Tom Brady. But Tom doesn't have the wheels and, and, and isn't as confident with the ball in his hands running as Joe is. I mean, Joe just feel, Joe doesn't want to take off and run. He wants to work through his progressions, and sometimes he just doesn't have the option to do that because of the pressure, and he finds a way to move up in the pocket. And then you saw him do it in the championship game on third and whatever it was where he shook a, a, a number 32 for the Chiefs wide Watch open. That today, and that's, yeah. He's dead to rights. That's fourth down. You're punting, and he just has that wiggle, that shake at the right time. He's so confident in his legs. He just doesn't take off and do it as much as Mahomes does. But as far as like most impressive, and I just think when you watch him play, nothing is too big. No, nothing is overwhelming. I mean, you you think back uh-huh. last week watching watching that game, and you think you lost sixty percent of your offensive line, and everybody told you the year before how much your offensive line would suck, and those starters, part of those guys are gone, and then you you bring in, you know three new positions and all three of them are out and you're playing against, you know, one of the better defenses and the better pass rushes and, and a couple of guys they have up front. And it just never seemed like he even realized that, that Lowell Collins was gone and Kappa and 
these guys were out. It, it never phased him. He stuck with the plan. Uh-huh. And it's so, I, I don't think people get how hard that is to do. That is a, you lose Lael Collins, who I know he struggled early, but he was coming along as the scene. He was getting better and better. And that offensive lineman started after week three, four, five, they really started playing well. And all, from a mental standpoint, when you're going into the biggest game of your year, there is absolutely 100%. And, and a lot of guys would feel, man, I wish Lael didn't lose his knee. And I wish, I wish so-and-so didn't hurt his ankle. I wish so like, but it, it's so hard to fight that. I don't think those things ever came across Joe's mind. I don't think he ever said, man, yeah. can you imagine if we're going into Arrowhead with our starting O-line, which I would have. And just about everybody else I know would have. I don't think that thought even came through his head because he's so he seems so yeah. mentally strong that it's like he had a moment as as that week was building up where he was like, okay, that would be an easy excuse. I need to block that out and never think about that again. And he can do that. And then he went to Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and just was laser focused. And I, I think that's what impresses me most is is physically. I mean, when on the biggest stages, he throws absolute seed. The ball is on the money, time in, time and time again. Dude, he had three of the sickest incompletions I, I saw this week. I know. This this week. I mean, balls, the, the, the balls, balls were complete. you can't believe that it hit the – it's like, oh, my gosh, that actually hit the guy in the hair. And he dropped it. But uh, he, he and, and he was doing it, you know, with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase when they, those guys were wide open. But a lot of times, and, and I thought what was really impressive about those in the BCS games or the playoff games in college was – a lot of times when you see that guy wide open, you're a little worried about it. And that ball ends up on the back hit. I mean, he was absolutely dropping dimes to wide open receivers. And that's impressive. That's really impressive. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I don't know if you give yourself enough credit because I would say, and I get questions a lot of times because I'm in a weird position here, right? Like you're my older brother. I've been around you. Number nine, Bengals, number one pick, all the stuff. Work with Joe, number nine, number one pick, all this stuff. Like, so what are the similarities? What's this, all that? And I mean, there's differences in your guys' physical abilities, a little bit more mobile. You had a lot more juice, like, but I think you guys were both emotionless in that moment, right? And so there was a year you never got credit for it. I think you had seven fourth quarter comebacks, right? We remember beating Baltimore, hitting Bubba Caldwell in a scene with no time left. Like, you had all these comebacks, right? You also had a torn ligament in your hand, taped two fingers together. No one ever really knew it because she didn't even think to tell anybody about it because she just blocked it out and worked forward. And so like, there's just some really cool things that I'm uniquely positioned that no one else in the world would sit here and I'm watching. And I gave a shit about the Bengals before and I give a shit about the Bengals now. Ford's team right now, the flag team's the Bengals, by the way. It's pretty funny. Sweet. To them. But like, Sweet. just emotionless, right? So easy to go down this path of like what it could have been and what would have happened in this, but it's like, move forward so it's a commonality i see you guys which is really cool all right we'll go faster here all right so you got kyle shanahan dialed it up you got joe burrow pulling the trigger who are you going to put it x and just for for people watching this the x you got to command double coverage we're not going to put you in motion a lot you got to be able to win a one-on-one matchup you're making way more money than z so and most people don't know this so the x is making more money than z the x has to win one-on-one matchups to the point where you're commanding double coverage we're picking an x this is a guy who commands double coverage and not being moved around a ton and utilizing space. You got to be able to do those two things. So who's your X current right now? Let's let's go current right now because you're you're watching enough balls. I put Justin Jefferson at X. I go all that all LSU. I go Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Joe at quarterback. All right, I love it. 
But what about why? You're gonna if you pick I, Charles Shanahan, you're gonna be running the ball. Okay, so I don't know not? if you could pick Travis Kelsey here. No, I'd go Kibbles because he can block defensive ends one on one, and yeah. he's a dog. Yeah, and Kittles, he can catch. I like it. I mean, and, and he makes huge plays and huge moments. And he makes I mean, like and yards up the catch, catch too against Dallas. He's he's complete. And I, I'm not saying I, I love Kelsey and I think he is phenomenal, but he's a receiver. Kittles is a tight end. Travis Kelsey's essentially a receiver. Yeah, I agree. All right, last up, running back. Zone scheme, outside zone, stretch, press the point, cut back. Dalvin crossover, Cook. roll over it. Dalvin I too. Dalvin Cook. Put him in Shanahan's offense. That's a heater. I like it. All right, so there's your offense. I love it. Great discussion about Joe Burrow. I was curious to see who you picked there. So I love it. I, so I would have thought that you picked Kyle Shanahan. I would have thought that you picked Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I wasn't sure who you were going to pick a quarterback. And I would have picked Devin Cook, too. So I like I that. Everybody else would pick Mahomes. Yeah, there's people with big Josh, 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 too. Or yeah, Josh. Or Aaron. Yeah. This is the way I've described it. Joe in year two last year is Aaron in this prime already so we look at it the best that aaron's no, been so i think joe's there is year two they're so different though I, the way they do it is different the results are not that different no and, i mean the results are yeah yeah just but the I back shoulder i, I would like, much rather i think joe's the best joe. back, throw, back shoulder thrower in the league and but like aaron's been incredible with that so, you know what i mean that's like a, yeah usually that's for like weak armed guys or guys who throw catchable balls but like you know, the big arm guys, usually it's like a, a part of their game, but they don't build on it to the point where you actually are more worried about defending the back shoulder than the over-the-top throw. Yeah, okay. That totally, I've talked some conversations with some defensive coordinators where they're like, when the game's built on the back shoulder and the over-the-top is the secondary threat, you have problems on defense. But, but Joe can throw the deep ball with the best of them as well. Yeah, oh, the one he had to see that just... Because it's the running jump ball. It's not just like the perfect, you know, yeah. over the shoulder ball. It's them like firm with an arc. Uh -huh. They get to go up off two, go up with two, come down okay. with two that you can't defend, especially with a guy like C or some of these bigger guys. Yeah. All right. Lastly, let's wrap with this. This is actually my favorite part of doing this. It's called the two minute drill. I'm going to throw it to you. I know your journey better than anybody. Depending on where you take this is what whatever people are familiar with of you. We're going to put two minutes on the clock. Jake, go ahead and throw it up. And. You can start this wherever you want. You can start this at Valley Oak, Eagles, fourth grade in Fresno playing quarterback. You can start this at high school. But you got two minutes to kind of go through your journey, right? Football is a big piece of it. You're also married with four kids, have a lot of life, have a lot of business too. So you're proud of a lot of things. you got a lot of things to be proud of. A lot of it's the people and the accomplishments, situations you've handled yourself right in. But I'm going to throw it to you. I'm going to put it on mute and we'll start the clock and start it where you want. It ends wherever you want it to end. With current players, I say it ends today with you. You can edit with your career. You can edit today. Yeah. So my journey started, I really loved basketball and, and I hung out with the basketball team for the most part, because I, I just love playing pickup at the park. I love practicing. I love shooting baskets. I love that little we had that little bootleg hoop on that little narrow trash can alley on the side of the house. And I was out there every single night doing three, two, Palmer with the last second pull up down by one. I mean, I would do that every single night. And I, I really liked football. I didn't like watching football. I just liked being outside. And whether it was you and I playing that stupid game where we get across the street and see how many times we could throw it across the street without hitting cars and without the ball hitting the ground. 
to just shooting baskets on the side of the house. And they realized that football, um, that football was a better opportunity for me to go to college. And so went through some highs and lows, you know, at the college level, finished on a really strong note, got drafted really high, won the Heisman Trophy, and then got to the NFL. And every time I got really close, every time I was on a really good team, I had a season season ending knee injury. So the first one, we had a really good team in Cincinnati. We were good on defense. We could stop the run. We could score a ton of points. We had weapons on the outside. We weren't real big and physical, but but we were really built to make a run because we could score a bunch of points and we were really opportunistic on defense. And then we get the first playoff game, the first play of the game. I blow my knee out season over. Went through some ups and downs in Cincinnati and then got on a really good team in 2000 and I think it was 2009 with Arizona. Really good on defense. Todd Bulls is our defensive coordinator. Nobody really knew who he was yet. Tons of cover zero, tons of pressure. We were awesome on defense, long on offense. I think we were nine and one, 10 and one maybe. And then boom, I blow my knee out again. And, and so those are low points. When you go through an injury like that, those were the lays. There was a lot of highs in between, but I loved every second of the game. I got to play with my, my brother for a couple of years, got to live out my dream, got to run out of NFL tunnels and play on Monday night football and, and play in big time games. And I really, I really, I loved every second of it. I, I never felt like it was a low. The lows never felt like they were low. It was just like, oh, here we go. Brought to get surgery next week. Then rehab starts. Here we go. Got to come back stronger. But now that I look back and, and I get asked about it a lot, you know, the, the three, the two best teams I was on, probably most talent, you know, season ending knee injury ended it. And, and now that I look back, I realized it was a low, but I never at that moment realized it was a low. And now by my two minutes is up, I'm in overtime, but I'm a father of four. I'm happier than I was ever when I was playing football because I've got four beautiful kids that still listen to me for the most part two of them still listen to me and they like hearing football stories two of them still like hearing football stories but yeah i'm just i'm a dad i'm i'm in the business world now and and i'm a former player and that's my that's my journey my journey's just getting started i love it it's so funny man we just say football is like it and it's life it's like you're you look 48 but you're probably what closer to 43 and like like you got a lot of life ahead of you, and you played forever. I mean, you played, what, 16, 15? 15, yeah. 14? 15. 15 years. After playing five years in college, after playing four years in high school, after playing eight years before, it's crazy. And you have, like, this whole life ahead of you. So it's incredible. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you. From my perspective on what I do now or what I've done for the last, this is my 15th year to interact with 14th year doing draft trading. 10 guys taken in the top six picks, 15 first round picks total. A lot of guys taken after that. Still the number one best example, remove bias of actually how to do this is you. And it's the whole thing, right? It, there's the, you know, they called you the jugs machine because it was so perfect coming out. There's all the physical stuff, a lot of which is God given. And then the rest of it, and a lot of it is work ethic and talent. But a lot of guys work really hard. A lot of guys work at this. You know what I mean? But it was all of it. It was the way you treated the equipment guy. It was the way you attacked rehab. It was the way that you dealt with adversity. It was the way that you dealt with success. It was, it was all of it. It was still the best example. And so it's so crazy that 
a coach's resume is based off of who they've coached, right? Oh yeah, this is this guy. He coached that guy, right? For me, sure, names are on my resume for people that I've worked with, but the fact that I got to be around you, I didn't choose to, I didn't work really hard to be your little brother. I got just like designed for it to be. And my whole life growing up, I had this shadow over me because we'd play catch or I'd watch you go play and I'd go, shit, I can't do it like that. And that's how the good guys do it. I didn't realize to the NFL that how you did it wasn't how the good guys were doing it. I realized, oh shit, it's totally different how he does it than the best guys do it. And that was like, a, it was like a relief when I got there because I just thought I was not as good as the good guys as opposed to, oh no, no, this is actually not the top tier. So super cool for me to be able to give back a lot of what I've learned, but Shit, I mean, the majority of it's from you. And so to go through that, my whole journey in my life and the impact that I had to watch all that happen and to realize now looking back on it, it's like, that's actually the gold standard of how to do it. And it's less about the touchdowns and the yards. I don't remember what your stats are. That's not even a part of it. It's just the way you went about it. And it's cool, man. The younger generation of guys are choosing to do it that way. Back in the day, they didn't get good grades. They cut, like, you know what I mean? It wasn't cool to get good grades. Guys didn't handle those guys party their balls off and it's like i don't know the best young quarterbacks like get really good grades they're really good dudes and they actually work at it you know year round and so i just think you're one of those key guys that really changed the game and changed the trajectory for all these young guys and i'm just uniquely positioned to kind of watch it happen so super cool man well i appreciate that well, it means a lot coming from you i know you've seen a lot and uh, you're the best in the biz man what's what says a lot that my son goes to you for quarterback tutelage yeah i mean what what you've built and, and the respect that you've built throughout the league, but also throughout this generation of Fletch, who's in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, high school, college, pro, you know, going into the pros and the guys that are actually in the league coming back to train with you. And it's not just because you're great at mechanics and you understand, you know, energy transfer, all these, all these very scientific things that go into the throwing motion, but it's the environment that you create. It's the mental things that they get. And part of, you know, part of these young guys probably wanting just to do things right. And that's not all about the flash and about this and that, that it's about working hard, putting the time in, they're, they're learning that from you. And that, that's really special. And, and you need to, to understand that because that's the culture that you've created. You put the work in, you can still have fun. You can still have music going. You can still, you know, have funds and videos out, but you put the work in and these guys that are coming to you see the translation on the field and that that says a lot well appreciate it man like dad told us we we're a little show me don't tell me don't tell me how rough the sea is just bring the ship home there's all these like things that just like they last forever they're timeless uh learn a lot of them from you learn a lot from other guys but dude thanks for thanks for coming on man this is awesome anybody who's watching this is like well i haven't seen these guys do this very much this is the person we're about first so we talk like this and then put it out. So this would be cool. And really appreciate you taking the time, man. It's awesome. Thank you. Well, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Love you, bro.